I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Welcome back to the Parenting Horizons podcast. That was my professional rendition of our introduction. Did it sound okay? Sounded great, Greg. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, perfect. I loved it. So, uh... Thank you. We're uh, Julie and I are back just one on one for this recording, and uh, yeah, we're we're remote. I'm in Michigan actually on vacation, and and Julie's in New York I'm City. Still stuck in New York City. <laughs> yes, but with the beauty of, of the internet, we can record together. So yeah, so this week we are going to talk about anxiety. Is that what mm-hmm. we're discussing generally, Julie? Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. Um, you know, it, what I really wanted to address this because for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, some research has come out recently that has said that there's been a, a significant rise in anxiety and depression diagnosed for children between the ages of three and 17. Wow. Um, it it's within the past five years that that number has increased significantly. So even before COVID, because obviously I know COVID upticked it, but five years, yeah. yeah. E- even, be- even before COVID. And I think there's a couple of reasons why that is happening. One, I think, is technology. I think that, you know, younger and younger kids are being given technology and the problem is that it doesn't, it takes away from kind of a natural anxiety reducer, which is physical exercise. Hmm. And so you got that, you, you combine that with increased pressure in school, academic pressure in school, and the fact that schools have n- not entirely eliminated, but certainly decreased the amount of outdoor playtime or outdoor mm-hmm. physical activity that kids have ha- have. So I think I think that's what it is. Then you know I think I mean that's a part of it. I think that's the reason that it was starting to increase before COVID. Then I think, you know, there are a number of, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, a number of kind of existential crises, if if that is the, I don't know how existential they are. They feel pretty real to me, but, right, right. Um, you know, we've, we, you've got the, the COVID, you've got, you know, the war in Ukraine, you've got the- Gun violence. Gun violence, uh, you know, the active shooter drills that kids are having to- engage in you know now we've got the the overturn of roe v wade and other actions by the supreme court that feel very dangerous to marginalized com- communities of course a three-year-old's not going to know that but a teenager certainly will right so okay the national institute of health estimates that one in three children will experience an anxiety anxiety disorder at some point between the ages of 13 and 18. When you say anxiety disorder, 
do you mean something that continues for a long period of time? Is that how they're determining it? As opposed to like, if your, your child has a panic attack one night, that's, that's just an episode as opposed to a disorder. So, um, I'm not a diagnostician. Um, but I think in lay people's terms, it's important to understand and differentiate between anxiety and an anxiety disorder. Sure. And anxiety is a feeling that everybody has from time to time, right? Mm. And yes. it's usually linked, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> yes. usually linked. Yes. Yes, we can both agree we've, on we've that. We've all right? had it, sure. <laughs> I have some personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so ang- anxiety is something that is um, linked to a specific situation, right, or circumstance that you know can be seen and felt and heard and 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 that kind of thing. And when it's when it's quote unquote just anxiety because it's linked to that specific circumstance, when we address that circumstance and move through it, the anxiety naturally drops off. Mm-hmm. An anxiety disorder, however, is um, not necessarily linked to a specific circumstance. And even if it is, it's something that lingers past when that resolution has happened. Right, right. So, so if you're having anxiety from an event like, you know, a child has a big school test the next day or they're going to summer camp. And so there's some there's going to be circumstances that come up that it's just sort of natural. And so do you have parents sometimes coming to you like in the groups that are conf- maybe confused and wondering, you know, when does this tip into something that is a more serious condition or, you know, you know, you might need some help or some therapy, or I'm assuming even in extreme cases, medication. Is that sometimes, is that a question that parents have for you? A hundred percent. Um, and especially because, uh, because of this uptick, you know, in anxiety and anxiety related disorders, parents are seeing more anxious kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the question to me is, how do I help my kid? Right. You know, how do I help my kid through it? And it's a tricky question. Because um, I think, you know, maybe even last year, we did a podcast about the dangers of invalidating a child's feelings. You know, that Mm -hmm. we talked about, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, suck it up and be a man. Sure. And because it's difficult for parents to see their children in distress, I think that's the, it is a go-to reaction that parents have. You know, well, if you just study for your test, then you wouldn't be nervous about it, right? And that's kind of that suck it up mentality. The problem is that if a child's not studying for the test, they're not taking action, it creates an increase in anxiety and uh, a decrease in both motivation and actionable steps. So we don't want as parents to to adopt that uh, philosophy with our kids. And we want to recognize that in order for kids to be resilient, they have to experience an emotion, be able Mm -hmm. to name that emotion, Mm -hmm. and then 
move through it and recognize that they've moved through it. In other words, that they're qualitatively different right now than they were five minutes ago, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you help a how do you help a child? How do you guide a child through those moments? So I, I get that you're saying, obviously, this sort of, you know, just 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 do it. Just grind it out. You got this. Ignore those feelings. Sit down and do it. Obviously, you don't want to do that. But right. then it, when is it also kind of enabling? It's it, it's it's a it's a balance, right? Because you want them to work yes. through it, but also be attentive to their experience and what they're going through. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it is definitely a balance. And I think, you know, really the first step is to validate the feelings. Mm-hmm. The first step is to say either some, you know, it seems seems like something triggered this anxiety, like when it's a more generalized anxiety and they're just, you know, ah, running around the house like, I can't deal. Freaking out, you know, right. Freaking out about something, which as we both know, having having children in the houses you do or having had children in the houses. <laughs> they're going to be do. freaking out about something probably <laughs> at some point. Exactly. And and they aren't necessarily going to be able to identify what that feeling is. That's what our job is as parents, is to be the emotional mirror mm. to them. So just like when we get dressed in the morning, right, and we stand in front of a physical mirror to make sure that, you know, we match and that there's no stains on our clothing or whatever. And we right. have that reflection to make that judgment. Kids need an emotional mirror as well. And that's where we come in. And I think what confuses people about anxiety is the concern that if we acknowledge the anxiety, that we are... Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to increase or become more of a problem, I imagine, right? Some parents right. think that. Exactly. If I that if I acknowledge gonna, these feelings, it's going to make it worse. It, right, exactly. And it doesn't. And, you know, uh, parents may have to take a leap of faith from this podcast and just try it to, to ensure, uh, you, know, you know, to, to experience the fact that it, it really doesn't make mm-hmm. it worse. It makes it manageable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really important. It's really of critical importance because... When anxiety becomes unmanageable, right, then mm-hmm. that's when we get the anxiety disorder. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I'm, ass- I'm assuming what determines that is it's repetitive, right? And it, it starts to affect their, their life. Yeah, and, and prevents them from being able to, to interact with the world. It just completely you know, kind of stops them in their tracks. That's Mm -hmm. that's why it's an anxiety disorder versus just anxiety that they move through, is that they become dysfunctional in some way. And so you're saying when it's generalized anxiety about something, it's sort of the same ideas that we always talk about, right, is what you're saying, is that it's to be curious and help them name the feeling of what's going on, acknowledge the feeling because, and I think this is what you're saying, is that, when this is true of so much that then if you have the ability to kind of talk through what's going on that that hopefully that anxiety will dissipate is that the idea yeah exactly and it will become more clear to the person who's experiencing the anxiety what the anxiety is specifically linked to or mm-hmm. if it's or if it's kind of untethered and not linked to anything 
And, and that's important because if it's a generalized anxiety disorder, if it's a, if it's a, it's, if it's actually diagnosable as a disorder, um, there's a, there's a, a truism that I, if I could remember who I heard it from or read it from, I'd give them proper credit, but, um, anxiety, uh, lies, hmm. anxiety lies. So when you have an anxiety disorder, it's like having this little thing on your shoulder, whispering, sure. whispering to you, you know, and saying, oh, well, yeah, that's something you'd be anxious about. Well, yep. Nope. Every, nope. The world's definitely going to end tomorrow. Um, you know, oh, no, better not walk outside. Could get hit by a car. I mean, mm. it just, it says these things and, and, and catastrophizes, sure, right? Sure, sure normal life and and that's the disordered part of it right if your child is having like if your child is having the anxiety about a test right that's normal right i mean mm-hmm. it, of course you have an anxiety about a test if your child is is worried that a bomb is going to drop on them if they live in the united states right that they're worried that a bomb is going to drop on them that's anxiety lying to you mm-hmm. because yeah, the I, likelihood is so low. Right. I mean, I have my own experience with this and my, my daughter has some experience with this. A, a lot of times for me, and I'm sure a lot of people have this experience, like sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and you start ruminating on things and suddenly you're out of, for me, it's always about, and I don't know how you teach this to a child, but it's it's almost like cognitive self-talk because I've caught myself in the middle of the night going like, Greg, it's three in the morning. <laughs> what are you doing? It's kind of worrying <laughs> yeah. about everything that's down the road and what's not in front of you, what's not in your reality. And certainly at three in the morning, it's like you're in bed. There's nothing you can do about this. It also starts to get extreme in your mind. You know, and it is about uh, I guess that it just makes me think when you say anxiety lies, because, you know, I have to literally catch myself sometimes and say, this is not real. This is all projection. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it it might happen that. Yeah, this idea that I I agree, it does lie. This you start worrying about things that are down the road that aren't happening right there in this in in your life and what's happening in the moment and for me that's a lot about what it is you know worrying about all this mm-hmm. projection i mean would you say that's something you you would talk to the child about when they're worrying about something that hasn't happened yeah absolutely i mean the first thing is and here's you know you you said at the beginning that you imagine that it's kind of a balance and there there's no question that it's a balance because we want to we want to explain to kids that anxiety lies and we also want to tell them how to reduce their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to, I want to talk about that in just a second. But at the same time, we don't want that message to be combined with, oh, you shouldn't feel anxious. Right, right. Well, that, yeah, right. that's just going to make a person feel more anxious. Well, and it's okay. like we've talked about a million times, shoving away those feelings, they're just going to come, come out somewhere else. So you have to acknowledge them, right? Absolutely. And so one of the things that I encourage parents to not only think about, but talk about with their kids is, um, and we did a podcast on this as well, the idea of mental load, right? So mental load is the things that we keep track of, right, in our heads. 
And sometimes they're logistical things like what do we need to buy at the store? And sometimes they're uh, time con- things that have time constraints. Oh, I have to remember that I need to balance the checkbook later today and that kind of thing. One of the things that, and I was talking about this with uh, a mom earlier today even, is that kids today have a lot more stressors yeah. than, than certainly than I did. Um, and in particular, you know, this mom has, uh, you know, a college age kid and, and just to think about that age group for a minute, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, instead of just going to four years of college and I mean, I loved college. I enjoyed the heck out of myself in college. You know, mm-hmm. I took a bunch of different subjects. I was curious. I, you know, I worked in the summers, you know, at the local, you know, bar or whatever as a waitress. And, um, but kids today, there's a lot more pressure on them. It's all about, you know, finding the internship for the summer and starting now to find the internship for next summer and focusing on a career uh, by your freshman year, the end of your freshman year in college, as opposed Mm to you know, experiencing the college environment and kind of that, what I might say, that last little bit of freedom before we become tied down to things like mortgages and and jobs and, you know, parenting and that kind of thing. But that's not true for kids today. So there are more stressors. And what that means is there are more balls in the air. There's more mental load Mm-hmm. Right. So they're having to think about, oh, I need to apply to this for next year. I need to sign up for these classes. By this time, I need to um, uh, work on my roommate. This mom was saying that, you know, for a for a, a junior in college, they had to make they were already had or a rising junior. They were having to make decisions about uh, their senior roommate. Who, who they would be roommates with in their senior year. I mean, that's a lot to be thinking of. And it's and so that mental load, right, is the equivalent mm-hmm. of, you know, juggling, juggling sure. a bunch of balls in the air. When you're juggling, it's very difficult to address one of those things at mm-hmm. a time, right? Because they're there, it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And oh, did I re- remember to do this? You know, have I forgotten about that? So one of the ways to alleviate some of that anxiety is to pull those balls out of the air and write them down. Mm. Then you're not having to remember. So sure. that it's that middle of the night thing that you're talking about. You know, yep. we wake up go, oh no, I, I, you know, I have to remember it's mm-hmm. so-and-so's birthday, you know, mm-hmm. down the line and they're already mad that I missed it last year, you know, and, and, it, and, and it starts going in our heads and gets added to and, you know, and potentially catastrophized. But if it's written down, it's easier to deal with it. And that relieves that part of the stress. Yeah. I mean, I, just personally, there's two things that have really helped me is that I have started to write lists because a lot of times, yeah, that's part of my own anxiety is waking up in the middle of the night and going, well, am I going to remember this? And so I really try to do that now every night. So I know if I do wake up and start to think, I go, you know, I know I have that written down. Um, mm-hmm. 
I also started, and this is for maybe parents whose kids have, because m- one of my kids has a sleep issue, is I started leaving my phone outside of my room a, a long time ago. And that also made a big difference because, you know, you've already mentioned electronics. Wow. It, it's such, that one is such a big challenge, but, you know, kids are often on their phones you know, till the end of the night. And I think that can affect and increase anxiety. So that's always a battle, but I think that's something for parents to look at. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying too, is with this mental load, when they have so many things going on is to kind of check in with them about each thing. And and maybe I'll share this anecdote because this is kind of ironic. My middle daughter who's 17 has had some sleep issues and and, and maybe I'll share this and then you can tell me if if we handled this correctly, because I think this is what you're talking about in terms of whether this is an, a disorder, are you acknowledging it, are you dealing with it correctly? So she is in the college process, which is intense anyway, and I think in, in New York City, mm-hmm. it's, it's extra intense, so she's had anxiety from that. And she's actually leaving in two days for South Africa. So tomorrow- oh, wow. She, Tomorrow, she's flying to South Africa for an internship for a month. And she's 17. It's going to be in Cape Town. And obviously, she's excited, but she's also nervous. And last night at about 2 in the morning, she came up to our room. It might have been 2.30, and she said, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. Mm -hmm. We've had a few of these moments. And so I just got out of bed. And we've done this a few times where I'm like, you sleep sleep in our bed, and I'll, I'll go get in your bed. Um, because I just knew like she wasn't going to sleep. It, she was going to have, she was going to be up all night if I didn't do that. Now <clears throat> we have been checking in with her too, about this trip. Like, how are you feeling? This is, you know what I mean? During the week. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. because it's so, so close that last night she probably started getting caught up in the anxiety of, and she's traveling by herself and she's taking like four flights. And so for me and you tell me this i mean obviously you don't want your 17 year old child getting into your bed every night and i think if we did that over and over you're like this is an issue because that can't go on but yes once in a once in a while when she's having a rough night we're like it's okay and i guess is that what you're talking about in the balance so and and so what we try to do and we're not perfect about it but i think this is what we're talking about so like with my daughter specifically who has sleep issues around anxiety I think, and it's a lot, it's college, it's traveling, it's probably social relationships, it's all sorts of things, is that we continue to try to check in. And teenagers, as we've talked a million times on this podcast, don't always want to talk. But she's been pretty good, obviously, about talking about like South Africa, that we continue to say, and more talk about the feelings. And it's not about putting them on the couch, but saying like, wow, this is coming, you know, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. But even even in doing that, I think she got overwhelmed. I haven't spoken to her today, and I'll check in to say like, "Hey, what was going on last night?" Yeah. But yeah, we you know, there's some nights. And last night was one of them. I knew. I'm like, I'm just gonna go down. I just said to her, I just got up. I said, "Get, get go to bed. Get in bed with mom, and I'll, I'll go sleep in your bed." And she, of course, mm-hmm. and this happens every time too. She falls asleep in two minutes. You know. Right. So I don't well, know. Is, know that, is that was that is that the idea? Comfort. You know, you know, so, so, um, what would you say? I would say there's a difference between a 17 year old and a three, four, five, six year old, right? Yeah. Because 
for a younger child saying, you know, okay, you know, you can come get in my bed because you're having trouble sleeping. It sends the message that they're not capable of handling sleeping by themselves. Right. And especially when a kid, younger child is saying, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling scared. I'm scared. What are you scared of? Monsters, you know? And the parent says, well, come on into my bed. Thinking right. it's going to be a one-time deal. Sure. The problem is that the parent has just validated that there are monsters. They're not validating the feeling. They're validating non-reality. Well, and they're also but, like, I think yeah. you're also saying that they're also, they're also now setting up this idea that they are not capable of working through this and staying in their bed and sleeping. I'm I'm sure there's a exactly. I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the age because I'm sure there's a million parents that struggle with that issue, right? The the, the oh, 3 I, to 4 to 5 to 6 to 7 year old child that wants to get in bed with the parent every night because they're scared. Yeah, I I deal with it multiple times per week in my practice. <laughs> and you know, and and it's astonishing to me what kids can convince their parents of at these younger ages, but I'm really scared. I have to sleep with you. And of course, then it can become a real anxiety over time because the parents basically saying, yeah, you're not capable of handling this feeling. Mm -hmm. You're not capable of handling. So there, and, and the big difference here, right. Um, aside from chronological age, um, between, you know, a younger child and a 17 year old is that, you know, the 17 year old is able to express that there's a thing in particular and the parents know there's a thing in particular that's creating this anxiety. I mean, it's a, I find it anxiety producing to travel and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, way more than 17 years old. So it's, it, it's understandable. It's that's anxiety that's linked to a specific circumstance, right? Mm -hmm. So you said, Hey, I get it, you know, and we can talk it all through tomorrow, but the easiest thing for you to get sleep right now is just to climb into this bed and have, have, have the comfort of mommy. Right. There's right. nothing wrong with that. It's 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 problematic <laughs> when it's younger. Right. And it would be problematic if at if, 17 they were doing that every night. <laughs> right, right, 5 nights a week. Yeah, no, it would be weird. That would be problematic. <laughs> but but yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. knew I'm like she's leaving. I want her to get some rest. And and, and like course. I said, we have some experience this with her where it's come up around testing and so yeah, once in a while I'm like I get it. Let's just do it so you can sleep and I know you have to get up in four hours so get some rest you know exactly you know there's there's nothing wrong with that and 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 that can be a very validating experience for them you know for them to to know that mom and dad are willing to make an accommodation in that particular case mm -hmm. it's again and I want to reiterate this it's when the accommodations happen over and over and over and over again you know, whether it's a young child or an older child, if, you know, if every day or, you know, every third day, it's something like, you know, I can't do that. Will you do that for me? It just mm -hmm. makes me too anxious to take my plate to the, to the sink, you know, right, I can't, right. will you do, you know, will you do that for me? And the parents keep that accommodation in place. Um, in spite of the fact that it's clear that the child is at a developmental stage when they can complete whatever the task is, that we begin to, A, look at, an, you know, is this an anxiety disorder 
or B, is the child playing the parent? Well, I keep thinking we did a episode um we did an episode maybe a month ago about resiliency. We had a guest on who talked about resiliency with your kids and how how to build resiliency. I think everyone should listen to that, but she told a story about yeah. her own daughter, her own high school daughter calling from school and saying I'm mm-hmm. sick. And the nurse mm-hmm. calling and and she knew that it was about anxiety and said I'm not coming to pick you up. And even yeah. the I think the school was like, "What?" And she was like, I won't pick you up. She made it through that day. I think the next day it happened again. And I think the school was really pressing her to come get the child. And yeah. The, yeah. our guest was like, I'm, I'm sorry. She was polite about it. And I think she finally said, I think like the headmaster of the school called and who got it. Because I think what the mother said to this headmaster was, if I come and pick her up, she will call me every day and not get through this. And I think that's kind of the idea that we're talking about. And I also feel like, Mm -hmm. and you've already said this, this all is kind of complex and nuanced and it really depends on the circumstance, but that's part of it is like, how do you build, how do you, and you tell me, because it seems like it's a combination of showing up for the feelings, you know, being curious, making sure you're talking through what's going on, but not also picking them up every time to help them because that's not going to give them you know, the resiliency, enable them to work through it on their own, right? So is that the balance mm-hmm. you're always trying to strike? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, and recognizing when maybe, or if maybe, they've tipped over from plain old anxiety to an anxiety disorder, right? Because mm-hmm. there is a, a, you know, there are chemicals in our bodies that can be off kilter and perpetuate or create anxiety for people. And, you know, the, the best way to, to, to determine if it's anxiety or an anxiety disorder is to, you know, go to somebody and get a, an actual diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, one way or the other, because there are there are people for whom medication is necessary. And I find a lot of parents who come to me are very wary of that medication. And, you know, listen, I I don't think we should be medicating unnecessarily. I agree with being, you know, uh, let's, let's take the approach of, let's see if other things work first. But the reality of medication for somebody who has an anxiety disorder parent, well, one of the arguments that parents make is either it's going to uh, rob them of all emotion, right? Mm -hmm. They just won't feel anything anymore. Or it's going to, you know, maybe it'll solve the problem. So I think it's important for parents to understand it and, and be clear about this. Anxiety medication doesn't solve the problem. Right. Anxiety medication levels the playing field so that the child can solve the problem. So I like to think about it as, you know, if you're out in the, in the middle of the ocean you have to get to shore, right? Mm-hmm. But you're in the middle of the ocean and you're being knocked about by waves and you're dog paddling just to stay afloat. You're mm-hmm. too exhausted to be right. able to get to the shore. What medication does is it brings the ocean floor up mm-hmm. so that you're now standing. You're mm-hmm. still in the middle of the ocean. You still have to get to shore. You still have to figure out how to manage anxiety. But now you have solid footing. You can catch your breath and you can do the work. Well, 
Can I just say, because I just think, I just want to reiterate this, and this is from my own experience uh, with kids in general. I think it's so important what you're saying, because I've always been a proponent of medication when it's needed, whether it's depression, yeah. anxiety, but it can, to me, it can never be just one. It, it, the medication can definitely mm -hmm. help, but to me, it's got to be in a combination with talk therapy. And, and that's what I think what you're saying is because if someone has chronic anxiety and if you find like your child literally is incapacitated, so then it's obvious it has an anxiety disorder, you're not going to have any ability. No person will have an, any ability to kind of try to look at like what are the underlying things that are causing this. So, yeah, I think medication and I and I mm -hmm. yeah, and I agree that that's what it's about is the medication can help stabilize the child that then you can have. OK, now I'm in a place that at least I can talk through this where I'm going. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, I agree. It's, it's it's never to be taken lightly. Like you have to talk to doctors yeah. and talk to the child and s see what it is. And it, it can't be by itself because you're right. It doesn't mm -hmm. fix it. It's going it, to it's going to help. And it's going to kind of cover it, but there's always underlying psychological stuff that's going on. So to me, it's a combination. Like if you're if your child, yeah. and please let me know. Like tell me what you think of what I'm saying. But this idea that if it's chronic, if it's severe, if it's ongoing, that they can take medication to get it stabilized. But then it's about going to talk therapy and having it be a combination of the two things to help deal with it. It, it, it yeah, it has to be the combination of the two things. Um, you can't rely on the medication alone because that's not going to, you know, using the ocean analogy, it's not going to bring you closer to shore. It's going to help you catch your breath. And that's mm -hmm. great, right? And sometimes medication has to be long-term. It's sometimes it has to be ongoing when there, when there is a disorder and that's okay too. It doesn't mean just because you're on medication doesn't mean you're, you're not doing the work. Right. And ideally doing that work with a therapist is going to be, you know, the, the, the best thing that you can do because, you know, the work exists. And, and one of the things that you know, the other thing that I, I talk to parents about is, you know, are there, a, so specifically the, the feeling of anxiety triggers a fight, flight, or freeze response. And something can trigger that anxiety. In other words, there can be an outstanding event in your life that later in life, you come to a similar moment or a similar circumstances, and that history informs mm -hmm. that feeling of anxiety that you have in, in, a, in a different moment in time that creates that fight, flight, or freeze. So one of the things that talk therapy does is that it helps you reflect back on your history. Mm-hmm. So that you begin to understand what things trigger. So right, that you right. Can, right? So that in that moment, you have the anxiety. And this is true for kids, too. Kids are completely capable of having these insights, right? You, you have the anxiety. You say, oh, I recognize this. Mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. the feeling of anxiety. Mm -hmm. What am I anxious about? You know, what, 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 you know, is there something specific the, that I can yeah, point to? Name the feeling. And right. Yeah, and, and name the feeling. Is there a specific circumstance? Oh, yeah, I have a test coming up. Or no, I just feel anxious. So then that allows you to stop and say, okay, well, what just happened that might have triggered this feeling for me? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and What I, historical thing am I bringing to this picture? 
Yeah, I think that's great. I, I think that's the idea is that hopefully you, you start to develop some tools in your toolbox so then when it comes up again, you're able to do it. The other thing I want to add is um, it's easy and I, I feel this is true because I feel like in, in New York City, it's easy to talk about therapy, medication, mental health. I, I think there's big mm-hmm. swaths of the country where that's still somehow a stigma, like you have to be crazy to go to therapy or you must be nuts to, you know, take medication. And, and the reality is, is that I think if that stuff goes untreated is that's when people, especially as teens, as, as kids get older, that they start to use drugs and alcohol to mm-hmm. to manage it. Right. And yeah. I think talk therapy and medication can be a healthier way to kind of deal with it, because if you don't, if you don't do it, it's you're going to find something, whether it's food or sex, um, you know, drugs, alcohol. So that's why it's another reason, I think. And, you know, you tell me how you feel is that it's important to address it, because if you don't, it, it, you're going to find something because it, if, if it's an unbearable feeling, you're going to you're going to find something to help mute it and, you know, numb it. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, there's no question that that people self-medicate when they don't have appropriate uh, medication or appropriate channels to talk about and work through, you know, the things that they're um, having negative feelings about. Um, and you know, in the study that I mentioned at the beginning that said that there's been a significant rise in um, anxiety and depression in the last five years for kids between three and 17 years old. What's interesting and very sad is that that is not uh, reflected in a rise in uh, seeking out, you know, therapy. Yeah. Seeking out help. And sadly, I think we're seeing more suicides, more suicidal ideation, more self-harm. And those are the ways that kids are trying to deal with this because they're not being channeled into, uh, appropriate therapeutic situations that could be helpful for them. What do you think that's about, though? Is that why aren't why aren't kids and parents reaching out? Is that part of being a, a stigma somehow around seeking help? Is you're weak? Is that the is that part of it? Oh yeah, I think that there's a huge stigma around you know mental health awareness of of how that how mental health, you know, we go to the doctor for an annual physical, right? Physical health is important. We go to the doctor for an annual physical. If, you know, if something's hurting physically, you know, our elbow, our head, our stomach, we seek out physical treatment for it. Mm -hmm. Mental health, nobody goes for a check-in once a year. Right. To see how they're doing. Nobody, if they're in emotional pain, I mean, very few people, I'm not going to say nobody because that's ridiculous. That's a, you know, I'm, I'm, it's hyperbole. Right. But, um, but far fewer people are willing to go and get their mental health checked by, Mm -hmm. you know, by a counselor or if they are in mental pain to go to a counselor. And it is, Greg, it's a stigma. It's like, if you seek out treatment for a uh, for mental pain, you're weak. If you seek out treatment for physical pain, you're just being smart. You know, there, we still have a stigma. Yeah, and what's also interesting is that you know when you start to dig a little bit or you get to know people, you're 
everyone is everyone is struggling like with stuff and that's okay it's kind of life this idea that no we're all fine and you know it's better that the more we can kind of put it out there i think the better um so why don't we just wrap up as we usually do you know if you reflect on the conversation we just had are there a couple of things you would say to parents to keep in mind if their child is showing signs of and you know anxiety and and or an anxiety disorder yes my first the first thing that i would say to parents is whether or not you decide to seek professional help or a professional opinion about whether this is normal quote unquote anxiety or an anxiety disorder you have to validate your child's feeling you have to say you seem anxious i i see that you're being triggered by something or that you're being bothered by something and is there anything i can do to help i think that is the primary role that parents play ideally if you're concerned or unsure about whether your child is having you know typical anxiety versus an anxiety disorder seek out that help because the 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 big problems um, happen when kids self-medicate. And, and when I talk about that, I don't mean that it's a, it's a decision between, oh, I go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, yeah, you have an anxiety disorder and we're going to medicate you. Um, that's not automatically the, the type of help that the child needs. They, but they may need somebody to support them in working through this stuff so that they don't you know, use drugs or sex or shopping. I hear that a lot, you know, mm, or yeah, right. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, well, with know. Amazon, it's basically a floating mall. So I, yeah, I, I've had to watch yeah. that with my own kids because there's a comfort that goes around that too. So it's about checking in with those is to see when those things are going on. If it's, you know, drinking or drugs, or like you said, shopping is like, for parents to maybe wonder and be curious about and make sure, is there an underlying thing that's going on? Yeah, exactly. And then also, you know, I think maybe the third thing that I would say is the more in dialogue we can be with our kids, the better we are to support them no matter what happens, you know, in their lives. And I think part of that is when we're talking about anxiety, I think it's important to talk about mental load and how some, sometimes just the simple act of, you know, instead of carrying around the mental load and trying to remember everything that you need to do, sometimes just the simple act of writing it down in a list, Mm -hmm. right. Um, can relieve you of enough of that piece of the stress to where you you don't feel as anxious um, about the situation because now you have them in an order. There's a little bit of a structure there. You can say, oh, here's the time sensitive things that I have to take care of first. If at that point you still can't take care of them, then we go back to what's standing in the way. What's preventing you from being taken care, you know, taking care of it? And it could be anxiety, you know, that that could be the, the thing that's preventing somebody from taking care of that list, whether it's the mental list or the physical list. I think if there's one kind of final thing that I'd like to say here is that the importance of being curious about 
your child's life, about what they're going through, about their feelings, without putting judgment on that is of the utmost importance. It, it gives you, it creates the dialogue that we need to have with our children and allows for, as Brenda Euland said, and I've quoted her before, um, she says that when we listen, ideas begin to come to life and to grow and to expand and ultimately to, to flower. So when we're listening, when we're approaching with curiosity to our kids, the ideas that we're seeking to alleviate the, whatever the feeling is, but in this case, we're talking about anxiety, um, have a chance to really grow and blossom. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at Julie.Ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.